You're listening to The One Room with a View Show. With Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show with me, Christopher Preston. And joining me today for this very special podcast is the man who puts who in WHO. It's Dr. Daniel Orton. Thank you. I, I'm trying to get my head around that one. I'm not sure how... Well, it, it's good. <laughs> I am not a medical professional. I cannot give you any advice on coronavirus. Please. <laughs> Talking of coronavirus, what's coming up on today's, well, long-awaited show, Dan? <laughs> Is it long-awaited? Well, I mean, I've been looking for it for a long time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we are, we're back. We've been away for a long time but we are both bored in lockdown, uh, miles away from one another. True. Um, and we're, we're getting on the bandwagon, I suppose, mm. of, of recording podcasts in lockdown. Yeah. So Dan is in, in Clapham in London. I'm in Kent. We're, we're doing what everyone with a laptop and internet connection is seemingly doing at the moment. Uh, it, it looks somewhat like a scene we were saying in the planning stage. It reminds me a little bit of Deer Hunter. We're both staring frankly <laughs> yes. into this each feels, other's This feels even more intense than a normal face-to-face podcast. Sort of <laughs> staring we, right across at you. When There's we no escape. Podcast, we sit around Dan's table in the living room. We have a nice cup of tea. Is it, we're at a certain angle, Dan, where it's not so intense. No. You know. But this is very you know, like you're across the table from me and there's no escape. Mm. Yeah. We would not be Um, qualifying under social distancing if we were actually this level away from each other. No, but we are. And I hope the rest of you listening are as well, because, you know, stay home, save lives, protect the NHS. I don't know if I've done it in the right order, but... Uh, There's no order at the moment. There's no order at all. It is disorder. Um, Talking of disorder and no order at all, what are we actually doing in today's episode? Right. Well, um, back in at the end of last year, we recorded, you may remember, um, a big chat about our top 10 films of 2019. And then we discussed the, our favourite film of the, of the whole decade. 2019 brought to, brought to the close um, another decade in our long and, and, uh, and tireless lives. Sure. Um, 2020 might actually bring most to a close. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. Well, I mean, God forbid. Um, but we um, we never got around to publishing those recordings. So there's a bunch of stuff we recorded at the end of last year, which has not seen the light of day yet. And we thought that this lockdown situation gives us a great opportunity to go back through these archives, find this, you know, Most find this uh, long forgotten episodes and and uh, broadcast them now. Yeah. Um, well, many of those... So- Films that we love, Dan, are actually available through the various streaming services, either um, as part of their packages or like through the YouTube and Amazon rental packages and things. So it gives you an opportunity to catch up on what you might have missed last year. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say other than the fact that, you know, we're going to now, you're going to now hear what our top 10 respective films were from last year. And, And then, you know, which I think is a wonderful moment of, of podcasting, hear what we thought was our films of the decade. Shall we crack on? Yeah, can I say roll tape? 
Yes, yes, you can. Well, the decade that was. Yes. It's, uh, it's been <laughs> it's been a hell of a, a ten years. It's been yes, it's been quite. I mean, I'm trying to think of some highlights we've had. As we've already we've just been talking about there. There's been we've we've had what five Star Wars films in the last decade. Which has been a lot, hasn't um, it? It's weird to think that, like, which is more more Star Wars films in the last percent <laughs> of Star Wars canon has come out in the last four and a bit years. Yeah, in fact, four years because it was four years ago that the Force Awakens yeah. came out, wasn't it? We've had more Star Wars films this past decade than we've had in the thirty odd years prior to it. It's mental. <laughs> hey, Hollywood. Yeah, uh, it has been yeah a, year, a decade of ups and downs. Um, we were discussing before we recorded. Uh, the King's Speech winning Best Picture over The Social Network. Perhaps Finch was robbed. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> Not the uh, Sea Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of course, our film of the decade. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have seen somewhere in the region of 500 films over the last 10 years. Mm. I'm going to wager that your tally is higher than that. Quite possibly. Um, and I thought when I started going through them, that it would be really difficult to pick out what my film of the decade would be. That's a lot of films to kind of... I'm not, I mean, I didn't sit there and do like a top 500. Christ, can you imagine? Your <laughs> um, beard does look longer and greyer as we speak. But actually, as I went through it, there were certain candidates that popped out. You know, I mean, I went through the list and I was like, I don't even remember watching that. But there were others... It's where... strange to think, like, you know, you and I, and I know we're going to talk about this more next episode, but we started doing this together nearly a decade ago. Mm. And it's so strange to think about, you know, like, the Avengers was not a thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't realise that Star Wars was going to come back. And all of these, you know, at this point, The Dark Knight Rises hadn't come out. And all of these other movies that we've kind of spoken about and who've affected us and and gone on to, to win huge awards or been underappreciated. The decade has been such a... It's been a massive one, hasn't it? It really has. Mm. I think turning 30 next month as well, it's the first time where I'm looking back and thinking, okay, I can actually remember 10 years ago and that I, I, I can remember everything about the last decade. You know, when you're looking back at, as a 20-year-old and looking over from, say, 2000 to 2010, yeah, yeah. you know, it. I suppose it's as massive a leap. You're like, oh, I was 10 at this point, whereas I was an, a young adult when this decade began. Um, so how will we do this? Will we talk about our film of... Our film of the decade? I or? think so. I think they... Yeah, if we... I'm curious to hear what your film, your top film of the decade is, mm. and I'll show you with you what mine is as well. Uh, mine probably... I don't know if there were any kind of... I don't know if you want to discuss any candidates, like if there were a few that sort of struck out and you were like, well, I, you know, I think this was a good contender, but not as good as what the final choice was. You know, I was just looking back through, as I say, there's a few... I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's you know, there's we've... You mentioned Avengers there, and we've had uh, a whole bunch of these Marvel films that have come out over the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, including great ones like Iron Man 3, and then perhaps not so good ones like Thor The Dark World. Then there's been these sort of surprise, uh, you know, I, I think I always refer to them as curios, don't I? Little, little gems that, 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 you, that stick with you. Like, uh, the Cabin in the Woods springs to mind, which mm. was right at the very beginning of the decade. Um, Amongst the calls, we both loved, calls. We? Yes, of course. Then you cast our minds right back to the beginning of two thousand and nine, the, the, the start of the decade, which kicked off with Cam James Cameron's Avatar, and was sort of lauded as this is the future of filmmaking. You know, three D. It's well, incredible. It's funny that he ends the decade saying that Avatar two is going to be Endgame. 
Like he's like yeah, fully behind yeah. the idea. And here we are ten years later. We don't have ten years later. We've had some more Avatar sequels announced. We've not seen uh, seen any of them. Um, uh, Wes Anderson has come out with 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 the Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, Fantastic Mr. Fox, all good films. Um, there's been some there's been some stinkers as well. Uh, Pain and Gain, which you may remember from a very early podcast, which I eviscerated one of one of Michael Bay's worst films. Mm. Um, and that's saying something. Uh, Transformers still marching on. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the the only other film I think in recent memory that I can remember of you giving one star to, uh, of you giving one bob to, is Three Hundred: Rise of an Empire. Yeah, that was one of the first so you, podcasts is, we did, wasn't yeah, it? Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker is on yeah, level. It's, a, it's as bad a movie. As, as bad a movie as The Rise of the Empire. Yeah, it's just um, got a bigger marketing budget. It's just a ridiculous movie. <laughs> Um, I hope never to see that movie again. And and that's if I talk about The Force Awakens and The Lost Jedi, I saw those movies three times each in the cinema and I've watched them again on DVD. I hope never to watch <laughs> this one again. When Scorsese starts the decade with Shutter Island, ends it with The Irishman. And did The Wolf of Wall Street and <laughs> Silence in between. A, 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 yeah, fascinating, fascinating decade of... of uh, the, the, I mean, the rise of franchises, the rise of sequels... Um, I'm going to touch on this when we talk about our top 10 of 2019 but because I certainly feel like there's been a shift back towards original different funny interesting films one hopes one hopes um, certainly looking at what I've seen in this last year it's been mainly uh, non-franchise standalone mm. original movies um, whereas the decade has been undeniably dominated by big sequels um but also the return of perhaps a, they say the golden age of horror. Um, anyway, I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah, event well, what's cinema sort of, what's sort of, is probably sort of, the way yeah. to talk about it. What sort of stands out for you? Uh, a couple of movies really that I kind of want to talk about. I think maybe three or four in particular. Um, one of them is Moonlight, which is a movie mm. that actually I listened back to a podcast and I think I put it in something ridiculous at number fifteen or something like that when it came out in in twenty seventeen. Actually, the more I watch this movie, the more I realise what an incredible piece of work it is. Um, and I think I've watched it about three or four times now. And every time I watch it, it improves. Yeah. Which is so good because so often is the case that you watch a movie, you think it's brilliant, you watch it again, go, mm, I'm not sure. And you watch it a third time and the cracks start to appear. And as soon as you see those cracks, they get larger and larger and larger. Whereas mm. Moonlight just gets better and better and better every time I watch it. And I think it's such an important movie for the last 10 years where we've seen um, a huge amount of african-american talent getting a much larger voice in cinema so you used to talk about the golden age of horror where i think probably the most talked about horror film of the last 10 years is, is most probably get out yes, maybe yeah. uh and moonlight for me is, is such a wonderful film um it's not my favorite film of the decade i should say but it is certainly maybe the film that has grown on me most over the last 10 years and is, is one i definitely wanted to talk about uh, and and actually just mentioning it as well because I think um, it nearly was my film of the decade, which is OJ Made in America, which is again yes, of course, yeah. the story of of, of you know African Americanism in uh, Af African people in America, yeah, um, and the story of OJ and how that was manipulated and the Los Angeles and the rise and fall and everything like that. One of the most special documentaries I've ever seen, um, and certainly one of the best films in the last ten years. Should we get to the, the, the our film of the decade? I've got a weird feeling that it's going to be the same thing. Oh, 
Well, that'd be Listener, we've not discussed this beforehand. Yeah. This will be the first time I've heard what his film of the decade, decade is, and the first time he's heard mine. I, <laughs> I got a should, weird feeling it's we, the same should thing. Should we write it down and show yeah. it to... <laughs> Yeah, go on then. I'll write... Bear with us, listener. And you can hear this is... I'm typing mine out on my phone. Right. Okay, three, three two, two, one. one. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't, no, it was, we, we have chosen the same film, yeah. Dan, if you proceed. Uh, it's Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. It couldn't be anything else. It couldn't be anything else. I, I had a weird feeling that you were going to go for that as well. I remember you talking about the film for the podcast. Yeah. Because I think you went to go and see it on the press screen. I went to it, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I, there are a few times that I've gone into a movie in my life and just been like, wow. Yeah, I uh, I listened back. After I chose this film as my film of the decade, I listened back to that episode. Mm. And I don't really have much more else to add. I just, you know, to reiterate, reiterate what we talked about in that episode, like this was an experience, a visceral experience of a, of, of a movie. And I've not had that. I hadn't had that before. And I haven't had it since. <laughs> no, and and actually it's weird yeah. because we talk about franchising and I think Mad Max sits in a kind of a grey area, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? In that it is ostensibly the fourth film um, in a trilogy, uh, but everything is kind of brand new about it, doesn't it? And it doesn't really care too much if you hadn't seen... I actually think I watched... I think I'd seen the first Mad Max, but watched the second and, and the third post-Fury Road. Everything about this movie is superb. Like everything is superb Charlize Theron the Junkie XL score the cinematography the, the the simplistic narrative that they kind of play around with yeah as we touched on it again in in the episode we talked about this this is a film that was like uh, uh, just storyboarded like there was no script script it was a uh, George Miller storyboarded it first and then kind of wrote a few things afterwards mm. but he had very much in his mind like this is just this is just a two hour long car chase yeah and it is incredible as i said at the time this is you know this is a bad joke but i'll do it again but you know i came out of that film like like just i think tapping sand out of my ears yeah. uh, you know and kind of shaking the sand off my jacket and i still feel even talking about it, even thinking about it like it uh it, it you know just i don't think a film is, has sort of uh, wrapped me up in it as much. Obliterated me entirely. <laughs> it's, left you, it's just kind of left you sort of like, like windswept yeah. uh, at the end. Um, and it has one Whiplash the, probably comes close. It also, but Whiplash, we said before, when I was curating my favourite films of the decade, trying to find this one for the podcast, Whiplash was on there, but it, we said there's parts in it where it shakes, you know, the whole car crash sequence and things like that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, comes yeah. undone. This movie never has a moment where you're like, oh, what'd you do that no. for? You know, and for me, the greatest part of this movie, the bit where I could just watch this time and time again, is the sandstorm sequence. The, every, for yeah. me, that's perfect cinema. You know, all of the, the vehicles going into the sandstorm, and we've got the Junkie XL score right up, and everything works where the car is spinning off, and there's the electric it is, storm. It is, an, it is a magical opera of, of you know, in the, in the desert. Mm. And... Um, I'm so glad it exists. <laughs> I don't want to say anything more. <laughs> Listen back to our, uh, uh, I think it was, it was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah. I think. So quite early on, if you can scroll back, we did it was some film old, some film new, Mad Max Fury Road and the first Mad Max film with Mel Gibson. Would you like there to be a sequel because they finally unpicked the, the legal 
mm. side of it. You know, there was this big war between, I think, Warner Bros. and George Miller. Oh, right. To, uh, that it was something about, um, it was sounds like the mob, to be honest with you. Like, there were, there was a certain amount of money that needed to be paid, and it wasn't, and there was a huge legal case that's now finally been undone. Uh, which is what was holding up potential sequels. Are you? Would you? Want- uh, I mean, I would. I would certainly go. I, I would watch George Miller's involved. Uh, I'd watch it more. More Charlize Theron as uh, Furiosa. Furiosa would be great. Um, but I would happily go to my grave just with with Fury Road. Yeah. If that's all we get. Because of Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that film will kill me. <laughs> Frankly, my year, I don't give a damn. I really miss that. We, that, we bring that, it out uh, once a year. We only get it once a year, but I'm, and it's what a, what a treat, what a present. It what, is what a, a festive gift, gift it, it is. The gift that keeps uh, on giving. So. It's been a year, Dan. Hasn't it just? It has been a year again, hasn't it? <laughs> Riced on a bike. <laughs> has it been a Which year? Which is in at number two, I think, on both of our lists. <laughs> it's been a big year. Oh, um... Yeah, movie-wise, just life-wise. Started the year um, with Green Book winning Best Picture, which is, I think, probably been one of the most divisive Best Picture wins in in a year, in a decade, sorry, of divisive wins. Yeah, that's not, yeah. Um, we both watched it on a plane, I think, didn't we? Yes, which uh, is, I think, what the director intended. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like I think it's just him and Christopher Nolan rallying for that now. <laughs> uh, it's been a big, big year. We've had... Um, Things like the Joker, the Joker movie, mm. which has now topped over a billion dollars against all odds, inexplicably, yeah. in my opinion. But I'm we've had the culmination of the Avenger movies. We've yeah. now had the culmination of the Star, Star Wars. Wars movies yeah. on TV. We've got things like BoJack Horseman about to end, Game of Thrones, um, finished in in limp fashion. I think in, in mm. earlier on in the year, it's been a big popular culture year, hasn't it? And I, I, I wonder if to... yeah, I wonder if the creative industries know that you know time is almost up for mankind and they're just winding things down. I think that's quite a nice theory to be honest with you. I think that's why people just don't care anymore. It's like you know what we're about we're about to be eaten by Ra, the Sun God, anyway. So it doesn't matter if Jon Snow was sat on the Iron Throne or Rey is, uh, you know, Darth Maul or whatever. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, or hail um, Ra. <laughs> I've won. Welcome on you, alien overlord. Yeah, in at number ten. <laughs> right. Do you want to kick so, us off then? Yeah, I will say before I kick off. So disclaimer: uh, this has not been a great year for film for me personally. Mm. I have not seen. A lot of films. Uh, this is... be, I have to hold my hands up. I know this is a terrible thing to admit on a film podcast, uh, but for, due to various reasons, twenty nineteen, as you said, has been a year. Mm. Uh, I and I now, you know, job wise, things go up, life happens. I have seen about twenty five films. Mm. Um, a lot of them on Netflix. It turns out. Oh really? Which has become a great outlet for catching up on on films that you might not see at the cinema. But I have not been able to go to the cinema. I work terrible hours. And cinema listings just don't don't accommodate to my well, my sleeping patterns. I mean, that's another thing that I mean we can talk about. Maybe a great debate in in this season or something is is more just with the advent of these tent poles. And I'm, I've got to say, it, it's these Disney movies. Mm. They they obliterate uh, the, uh, the the schedules, don't they? You know, I was out the other day um, and I wanted to go and see something. I looked and there was something like fifteen showings of of Frozen two. I read a tweet Yikes. the other day that in Edinburgh alone, which is you know not the largest city in the world, there was something like 155 screenings of The Rise of Skywalker. And it pushes out things like a, a movie I really wanted to go and see and didn't was Doctor Sleep. Right, yes. 
because it was out for about three days before yeah. the next big blockbuster came in and squeezed yeah. it out. So I, I will say that the list of films that I wanted to see and sadly did not get round to is a lot longer than the list of films that I did eventually see. The, the consequences of these actually are far more reaching than you expect. Now, this will sound like a kind of humble brag here, but the reason that we came back slightly later in this season is because I was backpacking for, you know, for about four months. And um, it's only when you the amount when you get a lot of flights back to back that you realise that actually it doesn't matter if you fly Emirates or Qatar or British Airways or American Airlines, they all show the same movies. So like if you've seen Avengers Endgame, yeah. there ain't much else out there to watch, <laughs> you know. And and it, it, it's fascinating for that. So yeah, I agree. I I haven't seen as much yeah. as I did last year. What but it, enough for a top yeah, ten? Yeah, what it does mean. Yeah, certainly I've got enough for a top ten. What it means actually is my top ten is a lot more um, eclectic. I say eclectic, a lot more indie. Okay, good. There's hardly any um, franchise films on here. And I think there are some... Like, I, I made this list and I was slightly surprised. Um, well, that, that but only interesting. This is more. where we are. This is 2019. This is what's happening. Hmm. Um, so my, my... In at number 10 for me, and it was difficult, and I will say that um, this film pushed out Vice. Vice was going to be in my top 10. The, uh, the Dick Cheney... Uh, biopic starring Christian Bale. Did you you said that on the podcast before? Yes, you, and yeah. it was a bit of a letdown at the end. Like very, I mean, Bale very good, but perhaps not as good as it was sold to me as. That mm. makes sense. So, yeah, no, definitely. Because um, I remember the trailer coming out and being like, "Wow, I need to see this movie." Yeah, and I, I haven't seen excellent, it. Uh, certainly a case of an excellent trailer where where the film doesn't quite live up to expectations. See also the death of Stalin. Um, so my number ten is a film called Always Be My Maybe, which was was a Netflix only film. I haven't, um, I haven't heard of it. So it's a rom-com and it gets into my top 10 mainly because of an excellent cameo from Keanu Reeves. Um, I do know the one. Is it the one about where he comes in and he's, is it the breathtaking one or something, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so he, I, he, I think I know. He plays, he, he plays himself and he is dating uh, the main character. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it stars it stars uh, comedian Ali Wong and... Um, the actor Randall Park, who you might know as as playing Kim Jong Un in the interview, interview yeah. Uh, he also turns up in a couple of the Marvel films recently, hasn't he? Does he? I've... I think he's in the Ant Man films. Oh yeah. yeah, no, he is. Yes, he's a he's a FBI agent yeah. or something, isn't he? Um, he's got great comedy time in that bloke. Yeah, so it starts. So so they play uh, Sasha and Marcus, who who are childhood friends um, uh, from from school and, and neighbors, I think, and then they get they they they. Uh, they sleep together before going off to college, and then they just don't they 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 don't drift apart. And she becomes this like very uh, she becomes she becomes a celebrity chef. He uh, stays um, in San Francisco and like he's Palpatine's grandson. Is yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> whilst trying to start a band. Anyway, they reconnect fifteen years later, and it follows their kind of you know the, should they become something or should they not? Would it work? Yeah. Um, and it's not the most amazing rom-com ever. Uh, Does it play with the tropes at all? or Somewhat, yeah. yeah. It, it, it subverts, subverts the tropes a little bit. It's just, it's very funny. Ali Wong is incredible, like, she's an incredibly funny woman. And they, the two of them together are, are, are great. As I say, it's got this amazing uh, Keanu Reeves cameo where he plays just an awful version of himself. Um, and I, yeah, I was looking back at the films I've watched this year and I thought, you know what, one of my... One of my sort of um, judging uh, criteria is, would I want to watch this again? Will I happily sit down and watch this over again? And the answer to that is yes, would always be my maybe. It's 
Oh, good. I, good. I, I mean, you've interested me enough to watch it, and I, I, I rarely like rom-coms when it's you, but that one does sound great. It also sounds like it's nice... It's a, it's better than just the film that launched a thousand more Keanu Reeves me, uh, Reeve memes. Sorry, um, in at number ten for me is is a film that um, squeezed out the favourite. Now I know that a lot of people, I think including you, like really love the favourite, and I do too. But this movie just squeezed it out. It's a it's film it's a British film called Only You. Um, I don't know if you've you've seen it no. uh, or heard of it. It's um, directed by Harry Wootliffe and it stars kind of man of the moment Josh O'Connor, who I think is involved in yes. the Crown. Yeah, the yeah, movie, he's Prince he? Charles. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen the Crown. I know again that you're a, you're a big I'm fan. A big aren't fan you? of the Crown. Uh, is he in the most recent season? Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is a really affecting movie. And you said about your criteria. My criteria has always been like, do do movies linger? And this one really has. It's got um, uh, Leia Costa from I know from the movie Victoria which is a movie that is done in one single take yes you know yeah. and it's not with like 1917 or Birdman where they're a clever cuts this movie is literally just one take and it, it, it this couple um, they meet uh, totally like serendipitously on New Year's Eve and she's a bit older than him he's in his early 20s she's in her kind of mid 30s they meet on this in New Year. They both had a crappy New Year's Eve. He's been like DJing. She goes to this kind of house party. They end up sharing a cab. They end up sleeping together. And then they forge this relationship seemingly against the odds. But they decide that they want to have a child very, very early on in their relationship. And they come up against um, fertility problems. Right. And actually what they realize is that having the child ends up becoming the relationship. You know, they haven't allowed their own relationship to flower before bringing a child into the world. It brings up the kind of excruciating cruelty and hardship of going through things like IVF, and it's just a very, very affecting film. Mm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. It, it's a sad movie, but it's, it's, it's beautifully done. Yeah, I, I've never seen it, and I will seek it out now. Though that sounds great. In a complete gear shift, uh, <laughs> my number nine is the Lego Movie number two. Which... I haven't seen this. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about it because we, I... we both have reviewed the Lego movie yeah. and the Lego Batman movie, haven't we? Yes. And I don't have much to say about this film other than it like was such a wonderful tonic to how awful 2019 yeah. has been for whole decade for humankind. Um to be able to go and you know watch Lego movie for two hours is great. It is as creative, if not a little bit more, um than the first one, like really? it, it, it takes what the first one did and just go, you know, just runs with it. Um, I know there are some people who don't, who don't think it is as good as the first one because box office wise, it it was noticeably down, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, to the um, point now where you know they're changing their distributor, so they're gonna they're apparently Warner Bros distributes this, oh, right. and Lego have now entered negotiations with Paramount. Oh. Now what that means is that we wouldn't see things like Will Arnett's Batman and stuff like that anymore, which I think is really disappointing. They're going to like reboot the franchise. Well, that's, that is a shame. Yeah, that's a real, real uh, shame. Well, go and see this then while you can. <laughs> do, what do you think the reason for it being down was? Do you think there just wasn't good marketing? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I think there may be... I mean, I, I, I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. This film kind of just is, you know, it takes the approach of, well, if it ain't broke, why fix it? You know, the Lego movie was a huge success. Yeah. Let's just do that again, okay. and they do, and it is still very funny. There's the same, you know, there's all the same kind of jokes. Do they do anything with the, you know, the twist from the first movie? Yeah, so I think this is maybe where it lets it down slightly. Oh, okay. Obviously, they, they, that was such a wonderful twist. They've got to kind of keep that. What what could be the new twist for that when we already know that they are 
toys. Yeah. So it plays with that a little. There's okay. a bit more interaction with the real world. Um, I think it's very neat. I just, uh, I, I was looking, again, looking back on my list, it was like, you know what? That made me laugh. Yeah. And I'm so glad it, it's in the world. I'll have to watch that. Uh, I, 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 this is what I like to do in these lists as well, because <laughs> they can be a bit eclectic and you can put those ones down like, oh, okay, I missed that. Yeah. I think sometimes we race to saturate ourselves in culture to do these like arbitrary lists and things like that. But actually you go, oh, I've missed that. And, you know, it's, it's good to generate that conversation. Number nine for me is Us, the Jordan Peele mm, follow-up to Get Out. Another one I missed. God, see, this, this is, is what we're doing. Uh, it's not. It's nowhere near as sharp or as clean as Get Out. You yeah. know, it's a bit more ragged. It is definitely about twenty minutes too long. But Lupita Nyong'o in particular is just spectacular in it. And I'm hoping that this, alongside another performance that I'll talk about later on, um, it won't be missed just because of this weird genre bias of against horror. It's a very smart movie. Yeah. You know, it. I, I like Jordan Peele a lot, and I'm so glad that he didn't blow it. You know, like I'm so glad mm. that it isn't just like, oh, so Get Out was a one and done. Like, yeah. it, as I said, it's this is not as good as Get Out, but it was so good that you, I still, I still can't wait to see what he does again. Yeah. Uh, in an eight for me is a film I'm pretty sure you've seen actually, so we might now be. Yeah, this is uh, uh, Rocket Man. Yeah, I hated it. I know you hate. Yeah, yeah, I know you hated it, but I, I very much enjoyed it. Mm. Big Elton John fan. Uh, I really liked how they wove the music into this biopic and the way it was played out uh, Dexter Fletcher I believe was the director yeah the person um, well, person who saves saved Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody. Uh, so yeah gee thanks Dexter I don't know <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah I, I thought it was a very good musical biopic hmm. and that is all I have to say on the matter I liked the fact it did lean into the kind of it was almost like magical mm. realism kind yeah. of thing which was quite nice I, for me I think it just um, it got a little bit uh Self pitying. That's that's that was my biggest my biggest problem with it. Um, in at number, what are we in now? Uh, in at number eight for me is a is a movie I hope you haven't seen. I don't think you have, um, because I want you to watch this movie and I want you to know nothing about this movie. It's called One Cut of the Dead, uh, and it's a Japanese it's a Japanese movie um, that kind of it got like a lot of attention earlier this year. Um, I think like the Prince Charles cinema or someone was watching it uh, was I think the Prince Charles cinema or someone was playing it. There's so little I can say about it without <laughs> ruining the movie, but one cut of the dead means that it it, it plays out like Victoria or okay. like 1917 right. or anything. It does something new with the zombie movie okay. in a time when you think that nothing else can be done <laughs> with it. It's it's whip smart. It's such a good film. It's it's you know, it's the most interesting zombie movie since Shaun of the Dead, you know, in that it does something fundamentally different with the mechanics. It plays around with what you believe movies can do. Like watch the movie. Okay. It's so good. It's great. really a great movie. And I think it's like it, it might be like an hour and a half as well. It's or maybe even less. Um ninety six minutes, sorry, I just checked for you. I'm putting Avengers Endgame in at number seven. Okay. Uh, I think it reserves a spot in the top ten. It's not going to go any higher than that, but, you know, what a wonderful combination to a decade's worth of films all comes together in this. It's not as good as Infinity War, I don't think. I'm no, not, it isn't. Um, but, you know, well played. Yeah. It's a tough ask to kind of conclude all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a film that, I, you know, I, I'll go back and watch it, sure. Uh, just... I think it gave. I think it was a it was a fan pleaser. 
Do you think it's inches between Infinity War and Endgame, or do you think there is a bit of a gulf between them? No, I wouldn't say as much as a matter of millimetres. Yes. Okay. Uh, in at number seven for me is a movie that you and I have podcasted, so I won't talk about it too much. Um, you can go back to the episode, it's earlier on uh, this year, is If Beale Street Could Talk which is uh, a, directed by Barry Jenkins. We've already spoken about Moonlight in, in the decade. Again, not quite as sharp or clean as Moonlight, mm. but still hugely emotionally resonating. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, and so, so kind of like tragically beautiful. Um, I completely agree. And, and another movie that I think over time will just get better and better mm. and better. I can't wait to see what he does next. No, exactly. Uh, if Bill Street could talk is my number six. Oh, there so, you go. Great minds. Well, we'll move straight on. <laughs> okay, well, in at number six for me, don't think it's a movie you've seen. Uh, Midsummer. Yes, another one I missed. Yeah, brilliantly like exhausting, and we speak we speak about these horror does it quite a lot, but the experience of cinema. Mm. I went to go and see this movie very late on in its run, but I managed to kind of avoid the spoilers and things like that. It's a crazy long movie. I think it's um, close. I think it's two and a half hours or close to, which is long for a horror. Yeah, you know, particularly. Yeah. In that this is is directed by Ariaster, who you might remember from Hereditary. Yes. And his horror, seemingly with these two movies, is one of just perpetual dread. <laughs> you know, he's not someone who really concerns himself too deeply with jump scares and things like that, which I really like. But the, the you know the emotion. This is an emotionally harrowing film and a stand-up performance by Florence Pugh, who's gonna take over the world. Yes, know, so, I've heard, so I've heard. She's yeah. the one to watch. And we spoke. I spoke about with us the genre bias against horror. Florence Pugh best acting performance I've seen all year and wow. uh, you know unfortunately Midsummer because of its horror it probably won't you know and like yes that is a, yeah. truly fantastic even for people who don't like horror movies you know it, it says a lot about our psychological relationships with toxic relationships and grief in particular okay not unlike hereditary no I, I, I'm keen to see it I was I was, I was gutted I missed it but you it, need a strong stomach for it as well also okay <laughs> um, speaking of strong stomachs Number five is The Irishman. You, uh, you are tearing the rule book up here. I have no idea where you're going with these, this what, list. Yeah. I have no idea where you're going with this That's what I mean. Now. This was a weird year for me. Yeah. Um, I can't, I've surprised myself as much as I'm surprising you. I really don't know. You're not going to say, like, you know, like a TV episode or something is your favourite about <laughs> Sight and Sound or really like that episode of The Chase or whatever that was particularly great. You know, the governess just opening um, portals and the beast coming through. So I don't think we need to talk too much about The Irishman, but that is a... a, a a, a wonderful film for you know for, from from Scorsese. A good, very different film from Scorsese. Well, uh, in relation to his other gangster films, uh, long, but you wouldn't know it. Yeah, as my dad might say. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> in at number five for me is talking of dads. I think this movie people are talking about the dad genre of films. Then mm. I think we've been a pioneer of that. <laughs> I like to think so. I like to think we've done a lot for we the dad genre. We have done a lot for the dad genre of, of films. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's it, uh, Le Mans 66, I think, in, in, in oh, yes. Britain and Europe. You messaged me about this the other day. Or Ford v Ferrari, as it is for the rest of the world. Something to do with copywriting. Oh, okay. You can't... Um, James Mangold actually did an explanation on Twitter the other day, which was fascinating. It's something like they didn't want to clear the film through Ford or Ferrari's PR, so that's why there are certain laws. Okay, know. right. But what a, what a movie this is. You'd love it, honestly. I said, first five minutes, you think, God, it's going to be the dad genre, it's going to be very kind of yeah. mawkish and like, mm, you know, I'm one with the car and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but you know what? This is a spectacular movie. It's a fantastic sports biopic 
Christian Bale, actually. This has been a role for Christian Bale that I think he finally nailed. I've always been a little bit critical of him as an actor. Um, I will, uh, This will stand against how much I love this movie, but I'd just like to see him do something more than these biopics that he seems to be doing all of the time. But uh, he, he's, he's absolutely fantastic um, in this movie, along with Matt Damon and... The final kind of half an hour just has you on the edge of your seat. It, it, James Mangold, I really like what he does, you know. Um, yeah. And this is go and see this movie. It's brilliant. Uh, I will. Um, number four. So yeah, we're, Christ, we're in the end game the now, five, aren't we? In the end game. Number eight or whatever. <laughs> uh, this is a film I know that you were let you were let down by. Or okay. You were disappointed in. I think, or not not as blown away by perhaps. It ain't the, rise, the, the rise of Skywalker. No, it's not. Yeah, I was going to say Rise of Skywalker. Jesus Christ! Uh, it is book smart. Yeah, probably. It, it, thank God the Rise of Skywalker came out because I was um, so disappointed by this movie. Like everyone said, go and see this movie, and I, I mean, I hated it. I think I told you to go and see this movie. You did. I feel I, I hate to give you bad advice, but I stand by my opinion of it, which is that it's uh, thoroughly entertaining. Uh, you know completely woman-led film mm. but that's yeah. important and that's why I, I feel so bad kicking it because because yeah, of the importance of it well exactly because people are just they're like yeah it's because yeah, it's yeah. got women in it but the, tr- <laughs> the truth is for me no what, you had very I, no yeah I was going to say you have very valid points my, my criticism of it is that it it reads like a 40 year old is it, 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 it doesn't sound like real kids they, they sound like it's like someone who's like kind of 38, 40, probably didn't have a great time at high school and so wrote <laughs> the high school they wanted. You yeah. know? I suppose if you went into it thinking, hoping for an authentic high school uh, movie, it's not for you. Mm. Um, but I I don't know. I, I, uh, I related somewhat with these characters that wait, you know, sort of spent so much time studying mm. and, you know, uh, swatting up to be able to get into university only to find out that actually... Everyone who you know pissed about getting drunk also also just, just, just going to the same thing you know, going to uni anyway uh, yeah so it really hit close to home perhaps a little too much <laughs> well I was uh, just too cool for the movie clearly I did see I mean I will say for what you, for, on based on your uh, your criticism there I did see it with an American who said this is not what high school is like in America at all no. but she was like I really enjoyed this but it's not realistic well what movies but, need to be yeah. Uh, and I mean, I get. I think it gets a lot of it gets a lot of its points from that the the weird Barbie doll animation sequence mm. when they get high. I I think I you know it, I like I. Oh, and for Billy Lord, who is Billy Lord is good. A great I think it just it for me it just breaks down in there. I just didn't believe it. I yeah, suppose that's what it comes yeah. down to. Uh, number four for me is um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a, a movie that uh, Quentin Tarantino brought out earlier this year. Me, you and I were absolutely terrified by it. Really. So I remember that coming up thinking Tarantino doing the Tate murders and Manson family just... Yes. It, on paper, it sounded like it just wouldn't work. But actually, in reality, it did. Uh, and it's one of these films, actually, that I don't think you've seen it yet. Still haven't seen it, no. Things might change. Don't you worry about that. But um, <laughs> I think it... It's one of those films that once you watch it, watch it again. Okay. Because I think that I liked it the first time I watched it. I loved it the second time I watched it. And I know having spoken to even Callum Baker, friend of the show, he said he watched it once and he said he thought it was fine, but he hasn't watched it that second time. And I wonder if he, okay, like yeah, others, yeah, if they yeah, give yeah. it a second chance. Actually, it's one of those films that you kind of need to almost know what you're going into. You're so terrified by what Tarantino's going to do by it that yeah. when, when that works out, you're like, oh, okay. And, and you know... It, That's how it gets you. Like most of Tarantino films, this is a love letter 
written to a certain type of film, a certain era of film. And Brad Pitt, you know, I love Brad Pitt. I know you do too. Yeah. You know, we've always said he's one of the finest actors of his generation, and I think he does spectacularly in this film. Great music choices as well, but I think that's, um, you know, Tarantino's thing, isn't it? Um, that's number four. Another hugely different film from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My number three is Hustlers. Haven't seen this film. Yeah, I, I think that, you should. I yeah. think I've told you this already. Go and see this film. It is uh, unexpected. Because mm, I remember seeing the trailer thinking, Jesus, about it. But uh, everyone I know says about how brilliant it is. It is brilliant. Like, and, and, you know... Uh, J-Lo for the Oscar? J-Lo, she should be nominated. She should get a nomination. Uh, and, I mean, of all the films I've seen, yeah, she's, she's a good shoe-in for supporting actress, I think. It's a great supporting role. Um, and she's she's brilliant in it. Uh, as are the rest of the cast. Um, it's, a, it's a weird story. Uh, as I say, you know, it, it kind of takes you in a direction I wasn't expecting it to. Uh, there's you know commentary on on capitalism and the financial crash and just how that guy. Michelle goes to Canto White at one point. Yes, yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. There's a really heavy-handed bit about Gundens and and warmongering, uh, which is a little yeah. Uh, could have done without, but uh, and just a really fascinating score, like the music really? choice. Uh, not, well, not, score is not the right word, but the the the, the music supervisor. I don't, I don't know who that was. I, I should look that up. But the the, the choices of 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 music that they play throughout the film are just so weird that they work perfectly like there's there's classical music in there at certain okay. points there's these odd choices of pop song and and and, and r&b it, it, the whole thing kind of just it's a weird alchemy that, that comes together to kind of damaged it slightly because i remember seeing it and thinking oh god a film it like had like cardi b or something in the well, yeah so you know, cardi b is barely in it mm. And I think the marketing was just like, well, she's popular, so we'll, so we'll, we'll bung her, her in. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, Cardi B used to be a stripper, now she's in a stripper film. Right. Isn't that interesting? You yeah. Know? Uh, and so that maybe damaged it slightly. Also, I think it was sort of billed as uh, Ocean's Eleven yeah. of, with strippers. And it's not really that at all. I think that's, 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 why a very, that... that's a very kind of uh, uh, simplistic yeah. uh, interpretation of it. Okay. And might, it doesn't work in its favour. If it's number three on your list, I want to see it now. See it, see it, see it, see it. Number three, I've got a feeling, is going to be um, <laughs> on your list somewhere. It's a film I have proselytised about for a long time. I saw it actually midway through last year, but because of the UK and mm. God knows what else, it's eighth grade. Okay? I thought it might be. Uh, in contrast to Booksmart, this feels like a movie that is authentic yes this is more the authentic high school experience it feels like an authentic high school experience I mean I'm not a teenage girl Dan you know sorry about the twist I never have been but I could still I could still see my own high school experiences in 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 what was being portrayed on screen and having worked as a teacher up until July of this year even the dialogue and the way that the kids interact with this and how they interact with social media yeah. is fascinating and yeah. so cleverly realised, you know. I completely um, agree. I think Bo Burnham did so... And Elsie Fisher, who plays Kayla, yes. you know, the main character, her relationship with her father and with her phone, which I think is perhaps the most interesting. <laughs> it's just brilliantly done. It is. And I, yeah, I, certainly, you say that, that I, this is an authentic high school film. Mm. Uh or, or middle school film, I should say, yeah. uh, for, for the Americans. Um, I think I've said to you, because we saw 8th grade, well, you saw 8th grade ages on, I saw it again on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, I'll just which is why I've seen quite a lot of my films. Like, I've just been nagging you, I think, on that plane. <laughs> I just watched this film. Just watched 8th grade. 
Uh, when I, I saw Booksmart and I told you, go and see Booksmart. It's like the sort of cooler, more attention-seeking older sister of A3. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, but, which, and I, but I love them both, which is why Eighth Grade is my number two film. Of the Perfect. Um, for all the reasons you cited just there. Yeah. Such a lovely film. And well, again, something that kind of, even though it is a young middle school, you know, this sort of 12-year-old girl, uh, I can remember, like, I remember feeling exactly the same sort of um, angst, angst at that age. Worries and... Yeah. But also very, very funny. Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So, in at number two is a film that you've already mentioned. It's Ooh. Endgame. Oh, wow, that's very high up. Yes, I really, really enjoyed it. And for me, this is the, the template of like how, uh, in contrast to a film that we've already spoken about in Star Wars, how to conclude a saga properly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you listening, JJ? Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's surprising, isn't it, to think that Avengers, which is a thing that started in 2008 and kind of really took off in 2012... People were saying on Twitter because everything's so tribal on there about um, Star Wars. Oh, you don't, you know, how were they supposed to conclude a nine-film saga? It's been going for forty years, and it's like, well, Endgame. All right, fair enough. It hasn't been going for as long, but there are now over double the amount of Star Wars movies, and yes. they and they did it in in spectacular fashion. It's not as good as Infinity War. You're right. Mm. I think when I first watched it, I would have said it was better, but that's only because of how satisfying the conclusion is. But that's what it comes down to. It is an immensely satisfying film. To the point now where actually it's kind of ruined Marvel films from here on in because I just don't <laughs> care anymore. But everything about this movie fires on all cylinders. It worked narratively for me. It was a brilliant ending to certainly a, a few of the main characters. Yeah. Uh, the climactic battle is, is also fantastic. It does slightly underserve certain characters, which it was bound to because of, of how many there are. But, but what a blockbuster. And, yeah. and and I hope that it now raises the stakes so that movies like The Rise of Skywalker are called out for their kind of, their malaise. You know, yeah. Whereas Endgame yeah. really, this engineered... Um, Completely. Yeah, it's fantastic. Good, good. Uh, my unborn film then. I can't wait. Don't know what it is. What is it? I, I mean, I haven't had this much fun in the cinema in ages. My film of the year is Knives Out. Of course. Of course it is. Why didn't I guess that? Why didn't I guess that? The final twist. Yeah, there you go. Take that, Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would urge everyone to see this film. Mm. Even if you don't like murder mysteries. Yeah. Go I, and see it. I didn't enjoy it as it much as Sam did, but it's still fantastic. It's such a caper. Such a romp. Yeah. He must, um, he must be laughing his head off at the moment, mustn't he? Old Ryan. Yeah, I don't know if you saw here, on a slightly like, go off on a tangent, he tweeted yesterday, I think, uh, a picture of Kelly Marie Tran at the premiere of the film. Oh, really? Rise of Skywalker. Uh, looking spectacular. And he just captioned it with a crown image emoji. Good. And I think that was like, that's some, that's some excellent subtle shade going on there. Do you think there will and or should be a sequel to Knives Out? Would you like to see a Benoit Blanc? I think I might have touched on this in the previous podcast. I would happily watch a series of films following Benoit Blanc's uh, uh, adventures as he solves crimes up and down the midwest yeah okay all right fair enough um my number one is a film that we've i've waxed lyrical about you've waxed lyrical about is the irishman i uh, loved this movie it's a i mean it's not only a fantastic movie but the gravitas of being kind of a eulogy to this type of filmmaking yes, that's a brilliant way of putting it i wish i'd come up with that earlier <laughs> and, the, and the and the career that that de niro and scorsese have shared in this genre it's that it, it rebooted these actors that by rights are like kind of 
you know, towards the end of their career. Yeah. Pacino puts in his best performance in years. Pesci came back. And, and the scrap between those two for best supporting is going to be a, a very interesting mm. one because they're bound to both be nominated. I think so, yeah. One of them should win. I don't know who because I like them both for different reasons. I think De Niro's actually kind of been forgotten a little bit and he he's the heart of the movie. You know, he's very, very, very good. Um, I love it. Three and a half hours and I could watch it again tomorrow. It'll take up your entire day. <laughs> Housekeeping. We don't have a jingle for that. No, never have, never will. Um, and in these uncertain times, Dan, they, these promises are meaning more and more. Yes, you can count on that. That is a guarantee yeah. um, from us, yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. So that was um, yeah. that was nice to hear again. Our uh, uh, four months later, our, <laughs> our top ten. Our top ten. That, that was nice. Nice to travel back through that outdated work that we did. Um, yeah, I agree. It was nice. Um, um, I'm glad that we did it, Dan. Yeah, um, we've got more stuff from the from the vaults uh, over the next few weeks. Um, the next episode will be up in in two weeks from now, and and we're going to be looking at uh, um, some some new stuff. We're going to be talking about streaming and sort of what what can we do now? What can film lovers do in an age where you can't go to the cinema? That's all going to be coming up over the next few weeks, and I'm very excited. Yeah, same. I think we'll, we're realising that the podcast, like all aspects of life, um, is going to have to kind of evolve and mutate to, to live in these post-corona times, Dan. So what we're, we're going to be aiming to do over the foreseeable future, especially during lockdown, is we've always loved going through the, the, uh, the Netflixes and the Amazons and things like that, Dan, to find these curio pieces. And, and hopefully we can kind of give you some, some advice on, on what to watch and, and what not to watch, perhaps, during this lockdown. Precisely, yeah. It's going to be a real mix of some of our old stuff, but also we're going to be doing, you know, new things as well and, and, and old sure, favourites like The Shelf. Out, Dan. The Shelf will be back. Dad's yeah. describing films. The, yeah. the, the, the possibilities are endless over the next few weeks. And if you want to contact us, we're podcast at oneroomwithaview.com. You can still follow uh, us on Twitter at One Room with a View. It's numerical one. You're at Mr. Orton. Verified. Yes. Um, against all the fake news, Dan. I assume that's what that blue tick means, anyway. <laughs> yes, the blue tick means that you can trust what I'm tweeting. Sure, I have no blue tick, so I wouldn't trust me as far as you can throw me, which is, uh, is it two metres at the moment uh, under government? <laughs> we will be back for another podcast in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, uh, cheerio and stay well, everyone. Bye.